Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. Trevor, age 15, is here for follow-up on his acne. His acne is slightly improved. He states he uses his topicals as ordered, but his mom, who's also in the room, rolls her eyes. Trevor has always been kind of a quiet kid, but pleasant and respectful. During the appointment, he is scrolling through his phone, looking up to answer your questions and otherwise disengaged. You think his affect is a little flat but it's hard to tell if the interaction reflects normal team social behavior or something more. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me this morning is Dr. Susan Feeney, Assistant Professor and Director of the Adult Gerontology and Family Nurse Practitioner Programs at the UMass Chan Medical School, Tan Ching Fen Graduate School of Nursing. Good morning, Susan. How are things going in your world? Pretty good, but yeah, certainly I'm seeing more stress and anxiety. I don't know about you. Absolutely. Especially, especially I, I have a troublesome teen in my own practice currently. So what do the statistics tell us about the current trends in teen depression and suicide risk? Well, it's a little grim. These are the CDC stats. I think anybody who's been paying attention knows that they're going up. So basically, there's been a three percentage point rate increase in depression and anxiety in kids 6 to 17 from 2003 to 2012. That was the latest. But that basically anxiety by itself and depression by itself have been increasing um, over the last, you know, 10, 10 years or so. And what's really kind of startling is they had they had statistics at the CDC on adolescents 12 to 17 between the times of 2018 and 2019, which we know is pre-pandemic. And we know the pandemic had a major impact, but that 15 percent of these kids had major depressive episodes. Almost 38% had persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. And this is the one that caught my attention. Um, Almost 19% seriously considered attempting suicide. 16% had a suicide plan. And almost 9% had attempted suicide. So those are really, really startling statistics. And we know that the isolation and all the other things of the pandemic have worsened, at least, you know, anecdotally, some of these statistics. Those are statistics are still forthcoming. But that, that's really worrisome. It really is. The, the leading cause of death under the age of 20 is gunshot wounds. And the leading cause of gunshot wound death is suicide in that population. So you're, you're right on target. Now, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force just announced some new screening recommendations. Can you describe them a bit? Sure. You know, they're very, they really do look at the data very closely and they gave it a grade B, which is pretty good for that group. And what they said is for 12 to 18 year olds, we really should be screening them, screening all of these teens for major depressive disorder. And the evidence supports that screening and early intervention can lead to improved outcomes. Um, there And the other thing they point is there really isn't any evidence that screening has a harmful effect, that there's no you know negative imp- uh, thing of this. Now, the thing I want to just point out is the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry 
has been recommending this from 2007, as so has the American Academy of Pediatrics. So, but this is a very strong recommendation. So what has, even though this came out in the AAP has, and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry had made these recommendations early, there really has not been a broad uptake of the screening in primary care and even in pediatric offices. It's usually done if there's a symptom that occurs, like but again, sometimes that's very hard to see in a teen. So uh, what the recommendations are is that we should be using these validated screening tools. And I think everybody knows about the PHQ-A, PHQ-9, rather, um, which is a generally validated tool. And then there's one that is modified for adolescents, but they point out in the literature, it's a little harder to administer, and it doesn't appear to have that much greater sensitivity than the PHQ-9. So the thing about the, and everyone, the PHQ-9 basically goes through the, the major diagnostic criteria, right, of MDD. And what's nice about this screening tool is that there are many uh, electronic versions. You can have it, you know, have links put right into your EMR. It can be done before you even see the, the patient. And so you have that data there. And what they the one thing they did say is there's really no evidence on how frequently they should be doing this, but clearly what they say is anytime you're with this child and, you know, especially with teens, you may only have one or two visits a year that you should be screening. The more frequently we screen, the better we'll be at picking up depression. Well, one of my fears is this very high depression rate among teens. One of my other fears is that they screen positive. So what do we do if they screen positive? You know, and, and as I was reading through these these recommendations, you know, I sort of got this panic feeling because, yeah, what do we do with a positive screen? Because most of us know, I mean, integrative mental health, which is a lovely model, doesn't exist in, for most of us. You know, we don't have our resident psych mental health NP or psychologist or a psychiatrist working in the practice. And so sometimes accessing that can be difficult, but it shouldn't stop you from screening. So the thing that I think all of us can do is make sure we have those resources available. Who is someone, you know, is there a practice? Is there a clinician that you can pick up the phone and call if you've got real concerns about a meeting? Um, having some kind of a, um, you know, contract for safety with this child. I mean, it, it, you know, re- at least addressing it. Then following up on a regular basis, if you, there's a delay in getting them into a, with a psych mental health provider, but it, you need to, you know, make sure you engage this child as best as you can and get them into the system as best you can. You know, that if you look at treatment, you know, pharmacotherapy and psychotherapy and collaborative care, all of those things are, are considered appropriate. Many primary care providers are not comfortable doing pharmacotherapy on teens, mainly because of the evidence that there's, you know, the black box warning, if you will, but it collaborate, but you really have to assess this, you know, the uh, degree and severity of the illness, but really having contacts and, and resources that you're, that you're comfortable with. And I would, if you're new to a practice, I would ask, that's one of the first things I would ask if I started there. Who do I call if I've got a child who needs who needs mental health services? What's your process? What, what drugs are FDA approved for teens for the treatment of major depressive disorder? So the FDA has approved escitalopram for eight years older, and then eight, then but fluoxetine has also been approved. So those are the two that seem to have um, the the most data on them. But we do know that. And then these are drugs that are obviously generic. They've got a lot of uh, safety data on it. 
And the important thing is frequent monitoring. But we know with teens as well as adults, pharmacotherapy by itself isn't as good as pharmacotherapy with psychotherapy. You know, cognitive therapy, cognitive behavior therapy is very effective, especially for anxiety, but it can be very effective for depression too. And the two, the pharmacotherapy and the combined with psychotherapy are are much more effective than either alone. And sometimes you have to start the medication to at least get the, the, the person to feel enough energy to be able to go, go to the psychotherapy, but both of them are important. No, I agree. I, I'm hesitant to start medications, but if I'm going to start, I'm going to start with what's FDA approved. And I will talk, I will talk to the, the child and the parent about looking at their insurance card. Uh, the populations at high risk are those with low income. So if they have Medicaid then, or some form of, of a low income health insurance plan, the chances of getting in with a mental health provider for psychotherapy is tough. I have recommended a few apps for people. We'll put some apps names that have been highly rated for depression in the landing page for later today, because I think, um, you know, teens in particular are much easier interacting with their phone than maybe going to see a therapist. So uh, there could be a win-win here. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It could be. And I think, again, you know, these kids need to be in touch with them as much as possible, or at least if you have a connection with their parents to check in on them. Um, and see them on a f- higher frequency if you don't, if they can't get in right away with um, a psych mental health provider. But I think it's important for primary care clinicians to be aware of what those two, that, you know, escitalopram and fluoxetine, the approved meds, and because you may be in a situation where you really do need to start the medication before you can get them in and, and saying, I'm not comfortable with that is, is a danger. So if, you, if that's an issue, talk to one of your colleagues in the practice and say, can you guide me on this? Um, generally, I start low and slow and, um, you know, begin to, you know, have a check-in with them. It, there's a little bit of a latency sometimes with, with people. It might take three to four weeks before you see a significant change, but at least you're moving in, hopefully, in the right direction. And we know not treating it, I always say, depression can be a terminal illness. So, yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts on Trevor for the day? It, you know, mom's in the room. So it's it kind of a tricky thing, but you could say, you know, hey, Trevor, how you feeling? Can you put your phone down and let's talk a little bit? Or sometimes what I'll do is say, oh, I've got some paperwork for you, mom. Can you mind stepping out? Come out to the desk with me. And then just say, I wanted to just, you know, what do you think? And then go back in and just talk to him. And, and maybe if you have a PHQ-9, you can, you can do the assessment, not in, you can do it sort of discreetly, but, you know, try to, you, he definitely needs to be screened just from a, just from the evidence standpoint. But again, you can't say, oh, this is just typical for him. You know, you really need to to, ch- to check on him because of his age, he's at risk. And I would, and, and I think we can also put some of the links for the PHQ-9 up on our up on our landing page too. Well, well thank you, Susan. I think uh, Trevor's at risk. One in three are for severe unhappiness and and suicides is a real option. And we'll all have to try to find better resources. Thanks again. My pleasure. Practice pointer. Remember that in teens, depression and suicide risk may not be obvious. Intentional screening is recommended to identify those at risk. And most importantly, have resources available to support treatment in the event of a positive screen. 
Join us next time when we talk about the increased risk of stroke following herpes zoster vaccine and the simple way to prevent it. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.